accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. We're continuing our run through of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Right now we're up to the episode called Little Green Men. It is the eighth episode of the fourth season. First aired on the 13th of November 1995. Teleplay goes to Iris Stephen Bear and Robert Hewitt Wolf. Story credit goes to Tony Marbury and Jack Trevino, directed by James L. Conway. In this episode, a malfunction on Quark's new ship causes Quark, Rom, and Nog to crash in the year 1947 in Roswell, New Mexico. We're joined by Clay. Clay, how are you? I'm good. Um, is this season entirely about giving Kira a new hairstyle every time she shows up? Is she even in this episode? I don't remember her. What, what does she do in this episode? I think she's she's in it briefly at the beginning. And the only reason that I know that is because her hair was shockingly different again. <laughs> it becomes a little bit of a character trait. Um, as we go forward, she gets um, even more dramatic with her hair. Not dramatic, but modernized, I guess. She, she matches... Uh, Troy in the number of hairstyles. I think it's a Star Trek staple to have your female change their hair. It's surprising to me that they keep changing her hair, but Dax has like the has had the same hairdo for four seasons so far. Same ponytail. Yeah, I'm reading a uh, the, pa- the patrons and people had actually recommended I read a Star Trek book, so I'm like struggling my way trying read to read a book, <laughs> trying to read this stop Star Trek watching, book. Stop killing brain cells watching TV, <laughs> Wes. I'd argue it's probably worse to read the Star Trek books for your brain than it is to watch the TV episodes. Um, but the I only bring it up because the the author describing Dax when she's introduced mentioned her tight ponytail, which I had never really thought about before. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, I'm going to do a video on this book because uh, Star Trek literature is something that I think people should uh, talk about, I think, and maybe not in all glowing terms. But anyway, we're going to talk about Little Green Men. I am going to take a break. We're going to play an audio clip, and we're going to come back and break it down. What do you use for currency around here? Latinum? Dilithium? We use dollars. Dollars? Never heard of them. Don't you have any gemstones or precious minerals? You mean like gold? Gold is good. How much gold are we talking about? Seeing how we're going to be advancing your culture about 400 years overnight, I'd say a couple of million bars would be about right. Mm. As a good faith deposit. You know, Cork... You might be some kind of Martian. Ferengi. Whatever. But the more we talk, the more you remind me of my brother-in-law. Is he a businessman? He's a car salesman and not a very good one. And he's nothing like me. All right, Clay. So, pretty a pretty light episode that we're stepping into here. It's a comedy. Um, I think it's a fairly successful comedy. I guess that depends on your subjective opinion, though. And uh, it's a Ferengi episode, but it's a Ferengi episode in the best kind where I think it's listener Eric frequently says that uh, Ferengi episodes that feature Quark, Ram, and Nog are good Ferengi episodes. And anytime they bring in an outsider Ferengi or you see Ferengi culture at large is a bad Ferengi episode. I think I'd be inclined to agree with that. Um, but what would you think about Little Green Men? Yeah, I thought it was good. It's, uh, you know, it's fairly inconsequential uh for a time travel episode it's probably the first time that they've traveled through time and haven't really affected anything although i guess being the aliens from the roswell crash is kind of a big deal but like as far as that's 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 uh affecting established history uh there's nothing that they change 
which in is universe, what ends mean, up happening. The, the, yeah. yeah, they change like real life world events as opposed to in in the context of the show. How many? Um, yeah. How many? If you had to guess, I went through and counted. How many episodes and movies prior to this have dealt in Star Trek have dealt with time travel? What would you guess? Uh, I would guess prior to this um, movies and episodes. So you've got TOS, TAS, TNG. Uh, and then these DS9 episodes that came before this and all the movies. I'm going to say seven. 24. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> granted, well, of course. granted, some of those are pretty inconsequential. Uh, I think one mm-hmm. of the TOS episodes is that just at the very end of the episode, they go back in time to reset everything that had happened. Just for the hell of it? Yeah, just just for the yell they get. Mm-mm-mm for the smell of it. Um, <laughs> the... So 24 was a lot more than I expected. And I, I I looked it up just because I was like, you know, where would I put Little Green Men in the pantheon of Star Trek uh, time travel episodes? And it's not as high as I thought it would be because there's actually a lot of great episodes that deal with time travel, but it's probably a top 10 time travel episode. And when there's 24 of them, that's a pretty good accomplishment. Yeah, it's, um, it's good. I mean, there, there's really, it, it's... I don't know exactly how much we're going to get out of talking about it, unfortunately, because it's, you know, like I said, it's it's fairly light. Um, it's a fun time travel story with really no stakes. Uh, the I, I would I would, yeah, I think I think maybe the the one of the things that makes it work well is that they don't change anything, and so there's not really that. Well, I don't know. I guess it depends on how you look at it, because like there's. You could you could also say that well, there's not really a the the end the the last act of the show is basically you know uh, a time travel equi- equivalent to running down some hallways, but it's 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 enjoyable to watch. The interactions are good. Uh, I would probably be inclined to agree about the uh, the Ferengi comment that generally the the Ferengi episodes that feature these three are usually pretty solid but any anybody outside from that is usually pretty uh pretty lame yeah and i wonder i wonder why that if why that is is it is it because the ferengi culture is not well established is it that it's not interesting or is it just that the fun of the ferengi is when they are placed in um outside in situations outside of their culture so you get like little dips into it but you don't have people arguing over which rule of acquisition to apply to, you know, some family bullshit. Right. I, th- I think it's, um, I think it's the fact that Star Trek, when it does comedy best is always character based. And when they introduce mm. new Ferengi characters, they always are these really broad cartoons of characters that come in. It's like the, the Nagus and uh, Brunt who come in. Um, but when we know Quark, Rom, and Nog, they actually have pretty, a pretty good script here where those, those three interact in a way that I don't think we've... Just the sheer amount of interaction they have with each other we haven't seen to this point. Mm-hmm. And they have a pretty good little family dynamic going on. Um, you know, Rom and Nog are no longer so subservient to Quark. In this one, they kind of stand up to him a little bit. He's still the boss of the family, but they have lines where they're sort of being sarcastic to him and Quark can't quite control them in a way that he normally does on the station. And I I think it's just, it works better because we know these characters and they actually feel fleshed out in a way that the generic Ferengi characters don't. Because I think we actually know a lot about Ferengi society. I I think we know enough to realize that that doesn't actually work. Like it's it's not a society that could actually exist. So when you dive deep into it, it comes across as kind of silly. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I and I think the uh, the relationship between the three of them is is well uh, put to use here too. Uh, and they they do call out something that I've never really thought about was when they refer to Quark as seeming to be a, the mother of the family. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I don't know if that's you know a moderately sexist comment just because he's always nagging them about stuff, but uh, uh, it's it's it does they do definitely put a nice. Um, uh, delineation between each of their characters and have it, and they work. The, the interplay between them is is very good. The the uh, yeah, Rom is definitely more uh, assertive here than he's ever really been, and they kind of they kind of comment on that a little bit. Um, I'd be curious to see if that if that keeps up or whether or not that was just a, a for a you know a, a plot plot. Well, the uh, first one. The first one I can think of is uh, that episode where Quark was trying to sabotage Nog's admission and Rom accosted him in the hallway of DS9. Do you remember that? I think that was your... um, So they're they're kind of pushing him in that direction and they're pushing him in a... uh, He's more mechanically inclined. Now they're really pushing on the engineering like he's he's actually super intelligent and super capable. They went went from... uh Quark's kind of dumbass brother too. No, I actually know all about engineering and right. ships and stuff. Just because uh, we need somebody who can spout some techno babble bullshit to get us back into the past. <laughs> yeah, he's um, it's it's a good sort of differentiation. I mean, I think that Quark is the mother in the uh, like sitcom sense. If you were to drop a pretty cliched sitcom, it's always the father who's the sort of bumbling one, which is Rom. Uh, they have the mm-hmm. kid who's kind of the smart Alec, and then Quark is the overly demanding sort of... Um, Did you know that a, a Ferengi head weighs exactly 11 pounds? <laughs> he played two notes sequential that were the same note. Um, but yeah, other than that, this is a... It's It's... A fifty. I, I think maybe the biggest failing of the episode is that it's blatantly a fifties homage, and I actually don't know if they go deep enough into the fifties homageness of it. Uh, the how if, could it be a fifties homage if it takes place in nineteen forty-seven? West. That's that's true. Yeah. We're you know all, what? That's an idiotic statement that you wouldn't have made if you read more books. <laughs> um, you know what this episode reminds me of? X Files. Actually. Oh yeah. You know it's funny you should say that because I was. In the back of my head, I was actually thinking, "Oh man, that would be such a a neat little crossover if they had the the smoking man just kind of there, yeah, or like or one of like I kept waiting for something. I not not specifically Star I mean, uh, X Files, even though that was going on in my head where I was thinking about those flashbacks to the '40s episodes they do, but I kept waiting for the woman to be revealed as someone of, like, consequence instead of just, like, a, you know, uh, a girl obsessed with with space. I kept, I kept, what I kept expecting was, uh, like, the last scene with her and her husband or fiancé or whatever, for her to turn to him and go, oh, Gene, you never listen to anything <laughs> sure. I say. Yeah, and right. And him to be like, well, I'm going to listen to you once you're the m- next Mrs. Future <laughs> Mrs. Roddenberry or some shit like that. That's what I was expecting, but they didn't do it, thankfully. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that the that that's kind of the weird thing about it that, that they're pushing this sort of fifties film style, and so she's put in as just the stock character who is um, sort of the optimist, you know, hero character. Yeah, and yeah. it feels like it's going to lead somewhere, but it doesn't really. And uh, I was I was reading one of the uh, sort of memory alpha things about it, and Iris Stephen Bear actually thought that maybe they went occasionally too far because. 
he his big regret of the episode was that they mentioned smoking in it as opposed to just showing the endless shots and close-ups of people smoking which is kind oh, of a, i loved that i a, loved the smoking shots i thought that was amazing it, it, the joke works well enough without them bringing it up just the fact that he like there's a point where he's you know he's lighting two cigarettes to give one off and everyone is smoking constantly yes um, yeah i thought that was really great but i, I agree with him that it it gets into this um preachy star trek thing you know every everything that quirk is presented with he just can't believe that humans acted this way and it comes across as a little bit of annoying star trek habit although i don't know if they're making fun of it or sort of sincerely playing along with it well you know what i actually kind of liked about that stuff though um is it it presented the ferengi who are generally looked at in the star trek you, you know the normal star trek universe and time period as being like a little bit less than and kind of scummy, it pre- it presented even them being like as scummy as they are. They're still more advanced than humans were, you know, two hundred years ago or whenever this is supposed to take place. I don't know why I, I kind of enjoyed that, but it, it I don't I can't really elaborate on it. But I just kind of enjoyed that that little bit. Like it, it, it I felt like it humanized the Ferengi a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, that's true. The, the points that they bring up are the um, smoking. They can't believe that they put poison into their bodies and that they sell it. It, it was it was nice because it was a Ferengi touch on it. Like Quark is amazed that they're poisoning themselves, but he's also amazed that it, people could sell that product. Like that's yeah, his takeaway yeah. from it. He thinks it's gross, but he can use it to his advantage. Right. And the other thing is um, he can't believe that they irradiated their own planet with the uh, A-bombs and everything like that. And the, yeah. the other... Uh, reason that they did the sort of ending where they fly into the A-bomb blast is because uh, Bear was saying that he was blown away by the ending of True Lies, which I don't really remember, but apparently Schwarzenegger and the female lead kiss in front of a nuclear explosion at the end of that yes. movie. Yes. And uh, Bear was shocked that just like how far we've come from the World War II where the A-bomb meant everything to now it's just like a backdrop for a bad romantic oh, yeah. scene. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've mentioned this before on, on one of the other podcasts, but... Uh, I knew that people had officially forgotten what the atomic bomb was capable of when they detonated one on American soil in a season opener of 24. Right. Yeah. I was like, okay, if like the first thing that happens here is someone is setting off a nuke in L.A. and that's like the first in a series of increasingly ridiculous things that happen, I feel like we've uh, lost perspective a bit here on exactly what this weapon is. Um, and so two things about that scene, though. Uh, one, another crossover I had immediately in my head was uh, um, the bomb going off and then immediately cutting to the 15-minute uh, mushroom cloud zoom-in from episode 8 of uh, Twin Peaks The Return, which, honestly, even if you don't like Twin Peaks, I recommend watching that episode because it's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. <laughs> Uh, secondly, I'm surprised he called out um, True Lies as a reference because uh, this is a you know stupid bit of nerd trivia, but the original ending of Back to the Future involved Doc and Marty uh, racing the DeLorean into a nuclear explosion at a, uh, a nuclear test center. Oh, really? As a way yeah, to get because- back? Yeah, because it was the only thing that could generate enough, you know, energy or whatever to, you know, the 1.21 gigawatts to get him back to the future. (laughs) Um, But understandably, they probably needed something a little less uh, 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 expensive. 
Um, but I, that was the first thing I thought of, and I was like, oh, I wonder if that's some sort of like weird backhanded reference to that, but I guess not. I guess it's True Lies. That's interesting. Yeah, True Lies would have been the more timely reference for them, I think, yeah. and maybe not the deleted scenes, but it's um, Little Green Men is, I think it's pretty competent. I, I do sort of lose interest about... 20 minutes into their adventure in the past kind of just mm-hmm. because I I feel like I feel like the episode is built around the idea of going back in time and them experiencing the 1947 and there isn't really a plot around that idea. Yeah. It's it's yeah. just kind of like let's see what happens like and I think that one of the one of the sort of obvious little things about that is that Odo went with them for no reason whatsoever. Yeah. Odo doesn't add so- anything to the storyline. So if they're in Area 51, which is a very highly controlled area, you know, to the point where it's secret and no one is supposed to know about it, it's th- it's that high of a classification. No one's going to notice when there's just a, a new dog wandering around the base. Yeah, unhandled, like a no, yeah. no, no handler dog. Yeah. <laughs> Who they then bring into the interrogation room and then leave. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, shit. And nobody comes back. It's like, oh, fuck, I forgot the dog. Wait. Whose dog is that? I was why did why did they choose a dog? Would have been Mike. Why could Nodo have just been a, you know, they bring in a tray or something of of water and he becomes that. I, I wasn't unsure why they had to be the dog other than Odo needs to get around. But I don't think Odo can uh, Odo can sort of blend in as anything. I don't know why he needed to be a, an animal that's walking around. Yeah, it would have been great if he was like a tape recorder, right? Or you know, a cigarette. Tape, yeah, or a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. That's a gross pack of cigarettes. I mean, he, yeah, but you know what I mean? Like Odo being there feels like it's just like they got to that point in the script and they're like, we don't really have anything to do. Let's throw Odo in so that he can lecture them about what's going on because he doesn't really, he's not an important part of them getting back. He's not necessary to be there in the first place. It, it kind of wraps up the ending that he's able to arrest Quark, but that's just kind of a, he could have done that without going back into the past, I think. Yeah. And I, I think it's probably more that, well, I think you're right. Uh, but I, I also think that it's probably a little bit of like, you know, he's the best counterpoint to Quark. So throwing him in is, is only going to make things more interesting, even whether or not it's warranted. Right. And he can hide. He can he can be a character right. in that timeline and not be noticed. Um, did you like the little callback to Cisco being Gabriel Bell at the start of the episode? I did. That was great. Yeah, I, I like that. And I like the response where he's like, all the humans look like <laughs> It is the show's getting good at little um, writing moments like that. Like they're really linking back to previous episodes. And it's funny because when you watch it, you think that, oh, the bell thing, maybe Cisco changed history or something, but it doesn't. It's just a throwaway line that uh, Nog is using to show that he's reading the book about the history of the earth and everything. Yeah. I also, you know, it this episode does feature uh, not exactly used in the way that I usually prefer it, but it is my favorite plot device, uh, which is the magic book, which is the book that has all of the information about everything you're going to need in order to, you know, succeed in your quest or whatever. Um, because, man, he, uh, Nog does a lot of reading very quickly and about very specific things in American history. Yes. <laughs> which uh, I'm surprised that uh, all of those things come into play in a, in a, in a way that would be... Uh, so convenient for the plot but uh i am i am a big fan of the uh um you know 
the 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 magic the magic book is my is my favorite. Well, his his history book is either the greatest history book of all time or the worst because it's either so comprehensive that you learn everything or it just picks the weirdest details like these are the outfits that people in 1947 <laughs> Earth wore when they were walking around. There's only there's only you know 14 pages on the American Civil War, but there's like <laughs> three dense chapters about uh, uh, military garb in World War Two. This actually remind that actually reminds me of uh, a couple. Couple years ago, my girlfriend and I went to the Highland Games in uh, I think it's New Hampshire, where it's you know big. Basically, it's it's basically like Scottish Comic Con, yeah, where uh, everybody shows up dressed in kilts and you know period appropriate costumes and all this kind of stuff. And they do like uh, uh, caper the, the tossing and tossing and, like, the hammer, yeah, caper tossing. And I saw the mountain from Game of Thrones break the world record for throwing a keg, which is oh. pretty cool. <laughs> uh, and afterwards, they asked him if he had anything he wanted to say to his fans, and he just said, "I am the future of strength." <laughs> uh, but anyway, so they were doing these like talks and stuff. And so one of the things they were doing was uh, was about uh, Scottish military history, uh, specifically. Uh, up to and including World War One, and I, I've been working on this World War One thing, and so I went to listen to that because, like, oh, I'll probably I, I probably get some interesting insight into that time period or whatever. And I swear to God, it was forty minutes to an hour just talking about the differences in military uniforms of the Scottish Army from like the first army in like you know twelve hundred or something like that up through World War One. Down to where it was like, and in 1865 is when the hats changed shape ever so slightly, and the feather on the front became red instead of blue. Right. Now, the change in the blue color, and I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. Um, Some people are really into that. Yeah, I mean, this guy was in, like, full, accurate, you know, f- for lack of a better term, cosplay. Um it's, I mean, there was some interesting stuff about it, but generally it was just like, this is the part where, at this point, the, the tartan changes from an evergreen shade to more of a heather shade. And it's like, ugh. <laughs> uh. No, not why you signed up. Um, I did. The one interesting piece of trivia I did learn is that Nova Scotia uh, was founded by the Scottish soldiers who fought for the British during the Revolutionary War, and just they didn't go back. And so they were they were given uh, the area that became Nova Scotia. So you can tra- you can trace Nova Scotia all the way back to like a a specific like battalion of Scottish soldiers. Oh, that's interesting. I have a um a board game based on the Revolutionary War, and the British do start in Nova Scotia as like a starting point. So I guess that explains oh, nice. why they would why they would land there. Um, so I mean, as a you know, I I think we're both kind of of the opinion it's it's something it's it's a fine episode. It's like a fine middling little episode. I think it's pretty mm-hmm. decent of a time travel uh, one, but I feel it's it's lacking a little bit in something to grab me. And it's not like I need stakes. I just maybe if the humor was a little bit more amped up and there were more vignette scenes later on of them dealing with the new world that they found themselves in. But it's a it's a little bit pat. It just kind of resolves itself very simply. They all get back and everyone's you know right back where they started and stuff like you that. You want but, more uh, more scenes of them being tortured by the, right. by the American <laughs> with, with government? The sodium pentothal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, and, and um, you know, I, I feel that... How do you think that they did in terms of like a 50s B-movie stock characters? I feel like some of them were okay, and I couldn't tell if some of the actors were just not good actors or if they were doing a very good job of playing bad B actors. You know what yeah, I mean? I was, I was a little bit unsure. 
I was thinking that too. The one thing that stood out to me was there's uh, 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 the scene where they kind of where they first turn on Quark and, and the guys, where like uh, like three or four soldiers come in and all pull, draw their guns, and they all drew their guns as though they had never held a gun or yes. even like watched somebody else <laughs> hold a gun. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, ooh, that's bad. But in my head, I was like, you know what? That is pretty accurate to the way that would have gone in a movie in the fifties, though. So maybe that's just, I, I don't know where that falls or whether or not that's just bad acting or exceptionally good acting. Yeah, but I don't think it helps the episode. You no, know, I, no. I'd appreciate a little bit of a firmer, or if you were playing it up a little bit more, making it more obvious that that's what the joke was, that that's kind of thing. I, I honestly, I'll say it again, but the cigarette bit is the bit that works the best for me. Just everyone yeah, is smoking yeah. constantly and the close-ups are just constantly covered in smoke. Um, but other than that, it was just kind of, you know, um, I liked it. I say I'm out down on it. Than I am. I think it's perfectly enjoyable. It's just it doesn't really stick to me in all of the all the ways there's, that you'd expect. There's another line which I can't remember. <laughs> I I wrote it down in my notes, but I can't remember what the lead up to it is. I just remember it being another instance of watching in this show from 25 years ago and thinking, oh wow, this is actually a pretty good uh, a speculative rib at, at at what's going on now. And the line that I wrote down was not when it comes to national security. And I can't yeah. remember what the lead up was, yep. but it was something that made me think, oh, yeah, that's kind of a joke that would work today even better than it did then. Yeah. Uh, what is that line? It's the um, not when it comes to comprehensive note taking here, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I remember what happens when you watch the show like two days before your podcast. About it. I've uh, what the hell does it, it didn't say anything. No, not really. I I, uh, I do think I I am always happy to see Charles Napier in stuff. I yes. love that guy. Yeah, he's the bad guy from Rambo Two. Uh, he's the voice of one of the but his the the guy with the mustache on the critic. If anybody remembers the critic, he's got a great voice. He's got a great look. Very good at like playing military tough guys and stuff. He's a great actor. You know what? Uh, one of my favorite lines I'm looking at now was the. Um it ties into my how the episodes are all sort of folding in on each other. Quark has a line. He says, I know everything about you people. Baseball, root beer, darts, atom bombs, which is a uh, callback. All the previous ones except for uh, atom bombs are stuff that he's seen or talked about on DS9 to this point that we've seen, the baseball, root beer, and darts, which is, uh, yeah. I, I thought, a nice little touch. Yeah. Did you, uh, What about the scene where uh, where Rom and his son both alternate getting the nurse to jerk him off? <laughs> That was kind of weird. I didn't want to bring it up, but it's getting it's getting pretty awkward now. Just the the desperation in, in uh, Nog's voice when he needs to have umox or whatever they call it performed, and the the fact that no one reacts as though that is what it is supposed to be while it's happening in front of you, and you just you you have to walk away going, I feel a little bit dirty, a little bit crummy from that. <laughs> um, let's see here. There's one other thing I wanted to bring up. What the hell was it? It was oh, uh, Nog is officially off to Starfleet academy at this point um so is he like gone for a while i assume he comes back not he, yeah. he comes back relatively soon but he is officially at the academy um at this point and it's not a false start like wesley crusher he actually is at the academy i was a little bit surprised that um a it happened and b uh they don't spend a lot of time with him and jake saying goodbye to each other which i was a little surprised i feel i feel like you could actually have an episode based around them saying goodbye to each other before it happens because their friendship is such a important foundation of both of the characters yeah yeah um it's pretty trite they just kind of say 
Although I, I did like the meta commentary of um, they're like, what do we do? They're like, usually we just end up standing around at this this uh, barrier thing, looking over the uh, es- the promenade, which is basically what those characters do every time you see them. They're hanging on that spot, looking over the promenade, not doing anything. Yeah, yeah, it would have been nice to have to give them a little bit more of a, a goodbye. But yeah, that, that I guess then that becomes like the the majority of the episode, which is uh, not what they were trying to do. But yeah, I could see it in a longer episode being about that. He's, it's um, kind of a bummer they didn't do that, especially yeah, since these this show is so much about you know character relationships and stuff. I'm surprised they didn't do more with it. Did um, and we get a little bit of insight into Warf here, where he has the nice line about he's not sure that a Ferengi would fit in at the academy. And O'Brien says, "I don't know, maybe someone might have said the same thing about you," which will kind of tie into our next episode that we're talking about. Um, yeah, man, the TNG people super racist towards the Ferengi. That's right. That's right. Worf is Worf is uh, loath to shed those stereotypes that he's brought onto the station here. Uh, that's about it. It's a pretty simple episode. I think we're pretty much done talking about it. We'll actually uh, we'll take a break. Going to play an audio clip. Me and Claire are going to come back and give our final thoughts about Little Green Men. I wish I could get some help. I don't know why we can't bring in a few more experts. Let's face it, Jeff. When it comes to beings from another planet, we don't have any experts. You'll find a way of communicating with them, darling. I know you will. Imagine the possibilities. Who knows what they could teach us? A few years from now, mankind could have rocket ships of our own. We could travel the galaxy, exploring new worlds and new civilizations. Always the dreamer. That's why you love me. Ah, That's funny, isn't it? Here we are in the middle of one of the greatest discoveries in human history, and all I can think about is what you're going to look like in your wedding dress. All right, everybody. So, Little Green Men, we're going to le- read some patron thoughts if you support the show at patreon.com slash file. You can leave your thoughts about upcoming episodes and we read them and we'll react to them. Holly McLaughlin says, Little Green Men, pure fun start to finish. I love the Ferengi manhood ritual, which is pitch perfect for a rain- race of insanely toxic capitalists. All the tropes from the other types of films and TV shows about the era and American history into which they arrive could have been really cheesy, and I know some people see this episode that way, but I think it really works. It's campy in a way Star Trek rarely does effectively, but this one is the best example I can think of. Odo being there at the last minute is a happy surprise. I, uh, still a happy surprise every time I rewatch this one. The top 10 DS9 episode to me. Um... I will just touch on that quickly, Clay. I think it. I, I think Holly makes a good point. It's campy, but in a sort of effective way, maybe, which is why I like it. Like it's not yeah. completely over the top, but it's not serious at the same time. So it kind of fits that sweet spot which you want in a filler episode like this one. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, Stephen Cobb says, "Little Green Man, love it. Another very non-human perspective and the subsequent humor that comes with it from that situation." And then we have Anthony Alvarado says, Little Green Men, has Rom always been this smart or is that something the writers have just started? Maybe I missed it, but the character change seems to have come out of left field and that he will go on to become an engineer, but still a minor point, but it stuck me as odd to see him talk about the reverse warp field, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, it's a fine episode. I do remember this from its original airing for two reasons. One, I find it funny that they reference the Bell Riots and show a picture of Cisco. And two, I grew up in Roswell and it was about this time that people really started talking about the UFO car, uh, crash and cover up again, which was around the 50th anniversary but anyways it was nice to see a fun little story about the incident without it being too serious and growing up in roswell you see a lot of people that are very serious about the crash well yeah i believe i'm sure he can uh correct me if i'm wrong but i believe roswell is not actually where the where it happened where the crash happened 
Yeah, I think it's it's one of those like Salem th- things where it's actually like the next town over, but then for some reason Roswell got all the. Pre- I forget. What was there a military was. base in Roswell? Is that why it's connected to it? I don't remember. I, yeah. I, I, yeah, I haven't one, looked it up. It's one. It's, it's one of those borderline. Uh, it's one of those conspiracy theories that's not doesn't seem plausible enough to really get invested in. So I don't know a lot about Roswell. Whoa, whoa! <laughs> Will Yates says, "Little Green Men." It's a fun episode. I'm surprised it's the first you just one to lost tackle half of your listeners. First one now. to tackle Roswell. I'll go ahead and say that I think this five minute cold open may be the best in the franchise. On a multiracial station, Stomwood, Rom would explain the custom. So many species support Nog. Good root beer. Kira can now talk to Cisco like a good first officer. Jadzia buys her young friend what he needs but won't buy. Worf is still racist until he and Nog both like sharp teeth. This is, so the feder- this is the Federation. I felt less than I should have for the Jake Nog goodbye. All said and done, I love the first shuttle scene. That's a good point, Will. Excuse me. Eric Johnson says this proves my thesis that Ferengi episodes that just focus on Quark, Rom, and Nog are great and only fall apart when another Ferengi comes in. The dynamic between the Quark trio was so sharp by this point. This was actually the first DS9 episode I ever watched. It was on a standalone VHS, and I didn't realize the Ferengi as a whole were hated until years later. It's not super indicative of what DS9 usually is, but it's an episode that always makes me smile. Chad Wiley. Little Green Man. That's I admit- pretty, sorry, I was just gonna say that, that's pretty interesting. This is the first episode he ever saw. It's actually not the worst episode to see <clears throat> for the fir- first episode for the Ferengi. You mean? Oh, this is the first episode with the Ferengi that he had seen. Uh, what does it say? This yes. Well, it's the first DS Nine episode he ever watched. I guess. Yeah, he didn't. Yeah. Even, okay. Yep. Yeah, I, I, it's not the worst first episode of DS Nine to watch. Why do you say that? I mean, it's it's. I feel like it's fairly accessible, and it's a a good time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get a little bit of the multiculturalism of the of the spa- of the station at the beginning, and yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's not as uh, it's probably you're not going to understand absolutely everything that's going on, but I think it's if if you're looking for something to kind of make you go, oh, that was pretty good. Maybe I'll watch more of that. It's actually not the worst one to watch. Gotcha. I see. Chad Wiley says, uh, I admit this one has never been a favorite of mine, probably due to the complete lack of interest in Roswell-style alien stories. Weird for a Star Trek Whoa. fan, I know. Well, no, Chad, Whoa. me and you, standing together. I do like the chemistry between Quirk, Rom, and Nog, so I certainly wouldn't call the episode bad. Rom especially is really coming into his own at this point in the series. Probably my favorite scene is when he's rattling off Technobabble, and Quirk and Nog share slightly panicked looks. Overall, it's fine, but if I'm in the mood to watch a gimmicky episode, I'll probably stick with Trials and Tribulations. Uh, Matthew Russ says, Little Green Man, it's not a Ferengi episode, it's just a damn good show. The fact that Quark echoes most of us to Rom about the BS Technobabble is hilarious as the recreation of post-war U.S. military down to the khaki khaki Class A-B uniforms. The fact that they use cheesy sci-fi stuff on Earth in the past, from the death ray, the invasion with the Klingon troops, and the making fun of the soldiers was hilarious monkeying the monkey men, but not the point of making it overly ridiculous. Making fun of itself with Cisco as Bell was to me the laugh out loud moment. The Edith Keeler parts about an alliance and to explore strange new worlds is better than going with astronauts on some sort of Star Trek line. I also enjoyed that Nog kept getting umox. Pretty funny. Well handled was the universal translator moment and their speaking Ferengi is way smoother than Kieran's Bajor in any part of the day. My question is, why didn't anyone notice an uncontrolled dog on the base? What newspaper advertised this top-secret nuclear testing? Why didn't Quark mm-hmm. use his AMX to get stuff on Earth that reminded him to sell his ship? And isn't everything for free? Quibbles aside, it was a fun romp. 
Uh, Kyle Barrett says, Little Green Men, it's fun. The only issue is that, well, on one hand, the B-movie stereotype human characters act as an homage to those old movies. They're so basic that that's all the episode can be, a shallow homage. But nevertheless, it's decently enjoyable. And Quark and Company using desert-set atomic explosion to travel through time and space immediately made me want a DS9 Twin Peaks The Return crossover. Hey, now. Hey, now. And Neil Brennan, in the last comment, says, Little Green Men, cute, but the gag ran flat with me after about five minutes, and the gag was dead by the time Nog an ear job in front of his dad. <laughs> so You're right. This episode would be better if uh about halfway through nine inch nails showed up and played an entire song like a full length song and then they flew their ship into the nuclear explosion <laughs> it's only so if much you haven't seen if you haven't seen twin peaks the return that does happen in that so much there's only so much you can ask for out of uh, something that's not come from the mind of david lynch i suppose what are you going to give this one on our scale of one to five um you know i think i'm going to give this one a four. Oh wow interesting like it's because it's i i feel like it's uh you know most of the threes that i give it's kind of like well yeah that was fine um i don't really know if i'd go back and watch that one again i could see myself going back and watching this again i I mean it's it might not be the most uh epically or um Consequential. Exquisitely, exquisitely written episode where you know everything. It's like a well-oiled machine of cause and effect and everything. But it's uh, it, it's a good time. It's uh, I would definitely watch this over a lot of other episodes we've watched up to this point. I would I would recommend watching this one if someone said what's a good Ferengi episode. Um, yeah, I think I'd say that. So like, give me a good. It, it has potential to be maybe one of Quark's better episodes uh, through and through. But I think I'll probably give it a three. I think it's a good solid three that I don't really have. Um, it it doesn't, you know, it doesn't blow me away, but it doesn't let me down. I, I enjoyed it the whole way through. I feel like it could have been a little bit deeper, but it, it, as filler, um, I think it fits that sort of three mold in the, the sweet spot that it needs to be. But I do like it. I think it's funny without trying to be funny, which is important <laughs> for these comedy episodes. Um yeah, that's about it. Nothing wrong with the little green men. I enjoy it very much. I'm I'm a little surprised by the amount of people who enlist that listed as a top DS9 episode. I will say that. Um, yeah, I don't know if I would go that far. I think um, on Memory Alpha, one of the lists has it as number six, which is kind of crazy to me. That's a that's a really high episode there for this one. A, uh, yeah, that's uh, that seems a bit much. Anyway. That's about it. Guys, thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. If you uh, want to check out the show on social media, there's Facebook and Twitter all listed down below. Um, if you... I'm sorry. I'm just laughing because we're coming in kind of short and like a good middle section of this was me talking about uh, the Highland Games. <laughs> so hopefully people don't feel too ripped off by our coverage. <laughs> I'd, do, you, do you think we missed anything? No, I don't. I just think it's funny. Yeah, it's, it's a... Um, there's not a lot to really talk like even in terms of the Ferengi they don't really it's not even a character episode for the Ferengi you know like yeah. they're they're just kind of there to be the reflection of uh B, B movies from the 50s kind of thing on the human the alien perspective but anyway social media Facebook Twitter all that will be down below discord you can check that out patreon.com slash the Penske file if you want to support the show there a couple dollars a month you get extra stuff we changed the tiers of rewards so you guys should check that out if you're at the five dollar tier uh you now have a reward that is appropriate uh we changed the ten dollar reward so there's no more patron guesting or new t- new 
scheduling for patron guesting. There will be patron guests because they've already been scheduled, but that'll be changing after you that. Guys, blew it. You blew it. <laughs> We've taken it away from you. My lifestyle has determined my death style, I think, in terms of uh, the scheduling. So we won't be doing that anymore, unfortunately, Did but you, there will be Was that a Metallica stuff. reference? It is. It's also Oof. The, <laughs> the darkest <laughs> dive. Um, that's about it. So patreon.com slash Depenskyfowl and rate the show on iTunes if you have a moment. That would be greatly appreciated. We'll be back with the Sword of Kalos after this, and uh, that'll be out in a couple days. Guys, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next time.